0: Thor and Loki had arrived at Thrym's hall, one as a bride and the other as a maid. They came together there early in the evening to the lavish feast, and ale was brought for the giants. Thor ate one whole ox, ate salmon, and then all the dainties meant for the women. Then he consumed three kegs of mead. Then said Thrym, Lord of Ogres, and the groom-to-be.
1: Why, I've never seen a lady eat so much. Never have I seen a lady take so big a bite out of an ox, nor a girl drink so much mead.
0: The very shrewd maid sat before him. She found an answer to the giant's speech. Uh, Loki, a little help. Ah, well, my lady ate nothing for eight long days, my lord. So hot was she to travel to meet the lord of Jodenheim, that she couldn't even break her fast.
1: Well, I can't blame her there.
0: Thrym then bent under the headdress. He is keen to kiss his bride. Instead, he sprang back, right along the hall.
1: Uh, why do her eyes look so scary? Like they're on fire or something.
0: The very shrewd maid, once again, sat before him. She found an answer to the giant's speech. Uh, Loki? Oh, for fuck's sake, Thor. Wait, what? Uh, I mean, my lady did not sleep for eight long nights. So hot was she to meet the lord of Jodenheim.
1: Well, that's good enough for me. Get in the house and bring out Thor's hammer. I got a goddess to marry. Let's get on
0: with it. Mjolnir... Was brought out and placed on Thor's lap. His disguise, dressed as Freya in a wedding dress, had worked. Thor grabs the handle of his divine hammer, and a smile crept across his face. He had work to do, and he planned to spare not one giant as payment for his humiliation. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going?
0: David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. It's been a, I had a good weekend. I got out in the yard and I'm having to rebuild the uh, irrigation system, the drip system, so I can keep the plants alive in the backyard. It's kind of like playing uh, Stardew Valley, but in real life where I'm going to get to plant some vegetables now.
0: Gotcha. I like how Stardew Valley is what we keep bringing up in these this podcast. And you're, when you first mentioned the irrigation, for some reason my mind went to the the Hanging Gardens, or like just like a Roman city in general, and how they their engineering for cities is so great.
1: No, that's one of those things out here in the especially in Albuquerque that we don't don't usually have sprinklers like you have out a uh, out east, but instead it'll be a, a tube that just runs through your whole yard, and then you put little uh, little tubes into it to water each of the plants under the ground. So that's it was leaking. I had to, I had to rebuild it basically the tree in the front yard had wrapped its roots around the old system and just popped the pipes. So it was leaking uh, whenever I turned it on.
0: Awesome. Well, speaking of liquid, and this is the world's worst segue, uh, I have a drink of the week. For some reason, last week, we didn't discuss my drink of the week. Don't don't miss
1: out on the drink of the week. We got to make sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So last week I did have a Johnny Walker black, which is my go-to if I don't have time to go to the store to get like a new beer or something. But I think because, Last week was the first week I I said the first words in our podcast. We got mm. fucked up and I just forgot to bring up the drink of the week. We lost and, our rhythm,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, but I do have a drink of the week this week. Um, mm, it's yes. actually from a local brewery in Maryland, so maybe not no, local for me, but it's a relatively new brewery about an hour away from our house. Um, they held an event on Saturday for University of Maryland's alumni, where they gave us like tasters and like new beers and everything. So I got one. Of, I got a four pack of their beers, and it is their Pink Boots. Hazy IPA.
1: Nice. That's crooked, crooked Crab Brewing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Crooked. Uh, we, sorry. Crooked Crab Brewing, which is located in Odenton, Maryland. So Odenton yeah. is kind of topical, but it's odin with an E. But here's what the uh, drink looks like in my uh, DOS Boot that I typically drink out of. So yeah. It's no. Really we
1: good. we don't get paid to uh, promote them. We probably should. We should probably try to get somebody to pay us. But uh, <laughs> but Sean just uh, likes the likes the beer.
0: <laughs> I'm sure one day, um, like three months down the road, I'm going to tweet one of the breweries that I have. I talk about on the podcast and then they're going to like, like the tweet and then I'll be happy enough. And I'll be like, David, we made it. We don't have to make money off the, Actually, yeah, uh, they, off they the beer. Give us
1: more, uh, more exposure and more fans that, that might be, that'd be pretty good too. Yeah,
0: yeah they'll, they'll tweet. Hey, I guess this, a uh, retweet. I guess this uh, podcast talked about our beer. Yay. Go, go retweet. And then we'll make it big at that point.
1: Oh, yeah. Anything <laughs> else uh, we should talk about before we jump into the, the story of the week?
0: Uh, no, no, let's, let's go ahead and get started. So last week, we discussed Thor's fishing trip, the version from Gilfaginine from the Press Edda being a short sequel to Thor's adventures of Utgard, which we discussed uh, two weeks ago and three weeks ago, In the version of the poetic Edda poem, Hymn Svita, being a bit more detailed and containing a bit more substance. In both versions, however, Thor was equipped with his hammer, Mjolnir. He went fishing with a giant's name, Hymir, using an ox's head as bait. And he almost succeeded in catching the serpent who encircles the world, Jormungandr. Although in Hymn's Theda, Thor did succeed in his main quest, which was to obtain a cauldron so the gods can brew beer, or, or brew a lot of beer, I should say, in party, he also failed at his side quest of catching the world serpent that would eventually bring on Ragnarok. Um, And I just laughed when I uh, made these notes here because it's a good parallel to the side quests that we see in like Zelda, The Elder Scrolls, or as mentioned, Stardew Valley when it comes to catching fish or just like side quests in general in video games.
1: I think, you know, going back to your idea of the, uh, what's the proper order of all these myths? I think it is maybe more, think of it like a video game like Skyrim where you you can do the fishing quest whenever you want, right? It it doesn't have to go before this one or that one. I think that's a good metaphor.
0: (laughs) So Thor tries to cross the river one day, then he says, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to try to catch Jormungandr, whatever the uh, player character wants to do. So the story was also similar, the, or the story that we discussed last week in his fishing trip was also similar to the story of Utgarda loki and Thor's run-in with the ferryman, which I also just mentioned, in Harvard's lot, because Thor again fails and finds that he needs to be more than a powerful warrior who wields a mighty hammer to succeed. So this week... However, we see him in action when, when he is without his divine hammer and how he needs to think outside the box and in a way sacrifice who he is to experience growth in his hero's journey. And we're going to see Thor in a comedic story of how his hammer was stolen, specifically by the giant Thrym. Note that although this episode does not appear in Snorri's Christianized Edda, it is often thought that the mighty Thor losing his hammer only to be reduced to need to put on a wedding dress to get back his hammer also contains some of this propaganda by a Christian author, whoever they are. So we continue our series on the adventures of Thor, this week's adventure being his wedding.
1: You no, know, and this is, I think it's very much definitely a, a comedic story. We'll come back to that, try to remind me to come back to that at the end, that question of, is it yeah like a Christian idea of trying to make Thor seem weaker or is there that idea that maybe this is part of a necessary part of his hero's journey somehow, even though it's a very funny story.
0: And I thought about this too. Like, I think there's like one of three things that the author was trying to do. He was, or they they were like, I either trying to tell a funny story where, Oh, look at this guy in a wedding dress. Or there's like a second version, which is a little bit more sinister of this one where it's like, Hey, let's make fun of this person because he's a guy wearing a wedding dress. And let's embarrass Thor to do so because we're Christians and our God is the most powerful. And then maybe, which I, de- which maybe is not the case. The author was just saying, this is a part of he- Thor's hero's journey. And I think you and I, when we discuss this stuff in the episodes, we want to like view these stories like these, I guess, from that lens. But it's it just remains to be seen exactly what the author was trying to get, get across when writing this story, if that makes sense.
1: Right. right. And then, uh, yeah, that I was looking at uh, the Oxford Press, uh, Karen, Carolyn Larrington's translation again, and they had a few interesting notes in there where last week with the... Uh, a, a that they said it was a very flawed poem that maybe it was several pieces kind of patched together. The document was damaged. There were missing lines, that this one was preserved in a really, really good condition. So this one's called Thrymskavita or Thryms poem, uh, that it's been called the finest ballad in the world. And that there's versions of this story that have been made into Swedish and Danish uh, ballads, which I didn't look up, but I'm going to have to find that because I really want to hear a, a song version of this story yeah as you were saying that it's not in Snorri's prose Edda, but it's one of the few poems in the poetic Edda that's more in a narrative verse. There's actually very you know these very complicated poetic structures throughout the poetic Edda, but this one is more straightforward. It doesn't have the complex meter, I think is the word. Yeah, it's for just it.
0: like yeah. something happens and then in the next stanza, something else happens.
1: It's it's actually the way like the, the syllables flow in the background. It's stuff where I'm not a I'm not a scholar oh, of gotcha. poetry. So I don't even, you know, know a lot about that what they call the skaldic meters and the or the etic meter. And there's these different things that are it's especially present in the old Norse. It's hard to then sometimes translate that over into English. But this is one of the more well easier to read, but they say it's a very just well constructed poem or ballad.
0: No, that's very cool. And I do think it's interesting that if you look at the story, there's like some portion that reminds you of like Little Red Riding Hood. And I could see this being like very popular and maybe like in the 17th century or like 19th, 20th century, even like in Denmark, they're like, oh, let's have this funny uh, play, this opera where- You remember what year this
1: this was written? What year they believe at least this, the version in the Codex Regius was written down?
0: Um, I want to say they, they- Made a note that it was later than a lot of the other versions that were written in the poetic edda.
1: Yeah, it feels a little um, more modern, a little more recent. But
0: yeah. yeah. And again, I think, I, but I think the uh, basis that they, or the, I guess what they based that on was, uh, you know, more so the fact that Thor is embarrassed in it. And it's like it could just be the Christian writer saying, oh, well, let's embarrass this god. Because like the true powerful God wouldn't be reduced to like wearing a dress, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I think they said they, they somewhat think it might be the same author as the Loki Senna, which is another one that's very funny where Loki is uh, oh, yeah. doing sort of insult battles with everybody. I think maybe that's that idea. Yeah. As they were, they weren't taking these stories quite so seriously. It wasn't just to make the gods sound impressive, but but they're having fun with it.
0: Well, no, it's funny you say that. We, I know we haven't done Loki Senna yet, but I know we keep mentioning that we're going to do it in the next uh, two to three months, which we will. But it's funny because like this, story like of a, a powerful man having to dress in a wedding dress and then Locasena where Loki's jokes for the most part boil down to him calling women a whore or whores it, like, I, I wonder if like both poems were just written by 13 year olds in Iceland so, like, yeah you know, a, lot of the, uh,
1: a lot of the you know the Viking stories remind me of I think I said before the, uh, the cafeteria in middle school or high school so.
0: <laughs> that sounds about right I think we, we've, un- we've unlocked it we've unlocked the mystery of Norse mythology and how complicated it can be but anyway, we can we can move forward. As far as the sources of this story, it's it's pretty straightforward. I know we mentioned mentioned a uh, Thrym's theta. funny because last week in a uh, Thor's fishing trip, it's theta. Um, This is thrim, the giant thrim and not the giant Hymir. So this week it is Thrym's theta which I think you mentioned is Thrym's poem. But we can go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and give a summary on this. But as we go through it, David's going to give uh, his um, he's going to word for word ta- um, go through the stanzas that he likes. You know, in his translation, if that makes sense, David.
1: Yeah, just yeah. As, as you go through, you kind of give a, give a summary, and then I'll give you some of the verses. We won't go through and read actually the entire poem. But.
0: Cool. So with Thrym's svita, so Thor wakes up angry as he finds that his hammer Mjolnir was missing. He went to Loki to let him know, and then the pair went to Freya, so Loki could borrow her feather suit so he could f- fly, and he could locate the hammer.
1: Furious was Thor when he awoke and missed his hammer. He shook his beard and tossed his hair to and fro. Earth's sun began to grope about, and these were the very first words he spoke. Listen, Loki, to what I'm saying. What no one knows, nowhere on earth, nor in heaven, the god has been robbed of his hammer. They went to the beautiful courts of Freya, and these were the very first words he spoke. Will you lend me, Freya, your feather suit to see if I can find my hammer? And so Sean, that's what I, I put this note in here because the, the way I read that version, first thing Thor says when he wakes up is, oh no, Loki, where's my hammer? And I'm like, is he is he his bed right next to Loki's? Are they like <laughs> brothers and they share a room together? That's how what, what I thought. I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, no, that could be the case. I didn't I didn't have that interpretation when I read it, but you could like look at it as Thor wakes up, realizes his hammer was stolen, and then he runs straight to Loki. But it also is interesting because like Loki and Thor often have adventures together, like they're buddies enough to where Maybe they sleep in the same room and Thor just sees his hammers missing. Then he talks to Loki's right there. Or maybe he like yells loud enough to where Loki is the only one that listens at first or something like that.
1: And then there's the line where, you know, up to this point, it's been Thor was speaking. It sounds like he's saying, well, uh, Freya, will you lend me the the feather shirt or the feather dress? But I think Loki's the one who wants to borrow the feather dress. So sometimes that they don't even clarify, is this Thor or Loki speaking? Makes me think like in some ways they're almost the same person or two sides of the same uh, coin.
0: Well, again, like I know Loki is looked at as as like one archetype as you've discussed in previous episodes, and Thor is looked at as another. So if you like look at an archetype as like our personalities in each individual, like you could look at Thor and Loki as those different personalities, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not correct there in like what you're saying, but
1: no, that's pretty much it. It's it's that the way it's written in poetry, they don't necessarily clarify. You have to actually decide what you you know, who you think is speaking. And maybe some people who are experts in this know, like, well, here's how we know. To me, it's unclear.
0: Yeah. So moving forward, stanzas four through six, Freya gives Loki the suit. So the, the feather suit that Loki asked for. He then uses it to fly into Jotunheim and then he finds the giant's Thrym.
1: It's also interesting. Yeah, because in some some versions, they call it the feather suit or they call it the feather shirt or the feather dress. So I kind of like the idea that Loki's wearing uh, Freya's dress and that lets him fly around places. And I just like the, the verse from the poem where he says that, or uh, Freya says, Yes, Loki, I would give it to you, even if it were made of gold, that she she trusts Loki so much, she'd even give him her magic uh, expensive suit.
0: Which is very interesting because Loki should not be trusted based on like at least what we know, but it also could mean that like Thor's hammer means this much to the gods, like all of the gods and not just Thor. And if Freya's like, oh shit, Thor lost his hammer, (laughs) you know, the giant or the the AC are doomed, we need to get it. So of course, take my feather suit. But anyway, it's funny that we uh, made those different connections, um, you know, on those stanzas. So with stanza seven through 10, Thrym states that he actually did steal the hammer and has it buried eight miles underground. He demands Freya's hand in marriage in order for him to give it back. Um, so Loki returns to Asgard to, th- to tell Thor Thrym's terms.
1: So as Loki's leaving a Thrym's hall, then Loki flew off. The feather shirt whistled until he came outside a giant land. He came inside the courts of the Aesir and he met Thor in the middle of the court. And these were the very first words he spoke. Have you had any success with your efforts? Tell me all the news while you're still in the air, for tales often escape the sitting man, and the man lying down barks out lies. So I thought that was an interesting way Thor says it, that essentially the way I interpreted that is Thor says, tell me what, you know, what, what the giant said before you land. And I think it's because he thinks, you know, before you have a chance, Loki, to sit down and make up lies, because Loki's always lying. He's like, tell me the answer while you're still flying. Don't, don't think about it too much.
0: Yeah. So you mean if he's like too busy in, or exerting too much energy trying to fly, he has an inability to lie or it's yeah. like harder for him to lie?
1: Right. I think so. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I'm not sure what else the lines mean besides that. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, so stanzas 11 through 13. Um, so Thor and Loki then go to Freya and they ask her to marry Thrym. So Thor can get his hammer back and she pretty much tells them both to fuck off. Yeah,
1: I call this section uh, Freya's Pissed. Then they went to see the beautiful Freya. And these were the very first words he spoke. Tie on yourself, Freya, a bridal headdress. We two shall drive to the land of giants. Furious then was Freya and snorted in rage. The whole hall of the Aesir trembled at that. The great necklace of the Breesings fell from her. You'll know me to be the most man-mad of women if I drive with you to the land of giants.
0: It's funny you mentioned that. And that's why like my interpretation of Freya initially giving Loki the feather suit, like willingly. And in this case, like she tells both Thor and Loki to fuck off. I'm not going to marry this giant Yeah, is why maybe it's more so like she was worried about Thor's hammer. But then when it comes like to, her life and having to marry this giant that she doesn't know. She's like, no, nah, fuck off. Like, I'm not going to do that oh, for yeah. you, for, Freya like- is
1: a, uh, a free spirit. Uh, she loves everybody, but she's not getting married to anyone. And this was like the interesting things in the different translations. So in that one, like it's very clear how pissed off Freya is, right? The halls are shaking with how angry she is. The modern translation says, you'll know me the most man mad of women. If she goes to the giant land and gets married, right? That she'll be hateful of men that she's going to kill somebody if she meets this guy <laughs> yeah. in Jotunheim, right? But in the old version from like the 1930s, they translated it as most lustful indeed. Should I look to all? Should I journey with thee to the giant's home? Right. So it sounds like they'll look at her lustfully. Like she'll look very beautiful when it's like, no, she's going to look like rage and uh, ready to kill somebody. Yeah. Like the new translation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I do too. And it's funny because like this, uh, like I know we mentioned Freya in a previous episode. I think it was like our episode where we discussed the nine worlds, specifically Vanaheim and we discussed the vanir and freya and then i think in the uh Aesir-Vanir war episode we mentioned that odin or i guess the war started because odin was captivated by freya not necessarily that he was like lustful over her but he was more so captivated by her seidr magic yeah. the fact that if she gets like that piss and the walls tremble yeah. you know i think that's just like a very cool to witness like maybe thor and loki Like left her presence, like with her tail between their legs, because maybe Freya is that powerful. And now, like I'm looking forward to like a standalone episode that we do with Freya, which you know maybe is going to happen also in the next couple months, but we'll see.
1: That idea that she's, uh, yeah, she's not just a pretty face; she is the powerful, one of the most powerful, maybe the most powerful goddess possibly. Right? That's yeah, very interesting.
0: Definitely. Um. So moving on, stanzas 14 through 21 summarizes as the Aesir then met to discuss the next steps. When Heimdall, and this is in quotes, the handsomest of the gods, recommends disguising Thor as Freya and dressing him up as a bride, they convince Thor that this is a good idea after initial pushback, and then they decide that Loki is going to go in place as Thor's serving woman, and then they travel to yod for the wedding.
1: So here's how it's written. Then Heimdall said, the whitest of gods, he knows the future, as do the Vanir. Let's tie on Thor a bridal headdress. Let him wear the great necklace of the bracings. Let keys jingle by his side and women's clothing fall down over his knees and on his breast display jewels and we'll put a pointed headdress properly on his head. Then said Thor, the vigorous God, the Aesir will call me perverse if I let you tie a bridal headdress on me. Little points in there. One I just like that Heimdall actually knows savior magic, right? He knows how to divine (laughs) the future. That's not a thing you usually think about with Heimdall, right? He's usually kind of just kind of a king type character, right? But it is in that, in that play, he teaches his the, his human children the how to read the runes, right? Or,
0: or- yeah. And I know we, in the episode on Heimdall, discussed the similarities between him and Odin. And one note that I wanted to make here was I looked at like different translations of this like one stanza where Heimdall is the one that ultimately says, hey, let's put Thor in a dress. Like in this, in the section that you just wrote, it mentions he was like the Vanir. In another episode, or excuse me, in another translation, I think in Jackson Crawford's translation, which I typically read out of, but today we're we're not going that route. It mentions that he is one of the Vanir, and so that's that kind of goes to the inconsistencies between different stories, but also different translations of the same stories. But if you look at a character like Hemdall, and I know you mentioned the Sador magic, it would kind of make sense that he is the Vanir if Freya, who is a Vanir, is also versed in the Sador magic. And if you look at Hemdall, he's the watchman of the gods. He sacrificed his ear, but he can still see or he can still hear like pretty much everything. And he can see across the cosmos as well. So he went through that also, that sacrifice of himself to make himself better. But I'm wondering if this is a good case for him to be considered a Vanir god because he knows like savior magic.
1: It's it's wondering where else did he learn it? Or maybe he learned it from Freya, right? But it's, yeah, he's not... It's kind of hard to define him, right? Like he said, there's contradicting stories where he shows up. But then one of the other, kind of like the Kennings, one of the interesting lines where it says, you know, let the keys jingle, just trying to imagine why Thor has all these keys hanging from him. But they say that's what, you know, the woman of the house, the kind of the head woman, the the wife of the Lord would have all the keys to the pantry. So the workers weren't stealing things out of the food pantries in the kitchen. So I thought that was Mm -hmm. a neat little, make make Thor look like a, a real a real woman that he's all don't forget any details. Make sure he has the keys in different versions. Thor either says that they would call me perverse uh, if I was to dress or that they would call me unmanly. And I think we've talked before about how for the old Norse, for the Viking age to be unmanly was a very problematic thing, right? So the Thor certainly doesn't want to appear that way, but that might be what's necessary. Oh, and I think John, I wanted to read this one first before you read the summary, just because I, I really like the uh, the image in it. But yeah, good. I'll read it first and then you can summarize it. So it says, This is as Thor is getting ready to head to Jotunheim. Quickly, the goats were driven home, hurried into the harness. They were going to gallop fast. The mountains split asunder. The earth flamed with fire. Odin's son was driving to giant land. I like that part because it's like Thor is so angry to be going to to, um, Jotunheim that the mountains are exploding and the earth is turning on fire.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in, In my summary for stanza, which stanza 21, which you just read was, Mountains exploded and the world burned. Such was Thor's wrath, being dressed as a bride. So pretty straightforward. Anyway, uh, moving on to stanzas 22 to 24. Thor sits next to his future husband, Thrym. He then proceeds to consume an ox, ate salmon, and then drink three whole kegs of mead. (laughs) So as we discussed last week, consumption of food and drink is consistent with Thor. We've seen it in multiple stories, and I know we again we discussed that last week.
1: Yeah, no, but that that's uh, that's the part we we read during the uh, the introduction. The little uh, we kind of made our own version of it for the intro. It, from one of the versions, they kind of clarify that these those are the dowry gifts, right? So there's all these gifts to be given to the bride, right, or to the bride's family. All these cattle, and that idea we talked about with the runes that wealth and cattle is kind of how they showed their wealth, right? But I also think it goes back to Thor being hangry as one of his uh, <laughs> aspects that he eats everything, maybe so he won't have to kill anybody uh, sooner before he figures out
0: where his hammer is. And he's also very much a drunk, which we saw with how much he drank during the contest in Garda Loki's palace. So yeah. it's it's pretty consistent with Thor. So moving on, stanzas twenty-five and twenty-six, Thrym goes suspi- grows suspicious. Excuse me, at his bride's ability to eat and drink so much. So Loki tells him. That this is only because Freya was so excited at the engagement that she fasted for eight nights leading up to the wedding. So again, Thor consumes so much. Loki passes it off as, oh, well, that's because Freya in quotes has not eaten in eight days or eight nights. Um, so the only thing that I wanted to say there was like, why wouldn't they just like add a day and make it nine days and nine nights? Because nine is so consistent in Norse mythology, but for some reason in this poem it was eight.
1: Different times, yeah, whether like three or four is the significant number or whether eight or nine is. It, it kind of varies sometimes. I think is eight maybe more significant with some Christian things? Maybe nine is more with the old Norse. Maybe that does tell I, us something.
0: <laughs> As somebody who was raised Catholic, um, I have no idea. Um, I think seven means something, but maybe seven eight. I don't know. We can we can look that up for another episode or we can just include in the show notes or something. We'll, put it,
1: we'll but, put it in the show notes if we figure out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. That was One
1: thing I just really liked was some of the uh the different translations where he's they're, they're talking about why ex- making excuses for why the bride was uh, was eating so much. Mm-hmm. And in the modern translation it just says that she was she was so madly eager to come to giant land. But I liked that the old version said so hot was her longing to come to Jotunheim. And then it makes sense that she had to drink a lot cuz she's so she's so hot. The drinking will cool her down, right? And why do her eyes look like they're on fire? Just because she's so passionate, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I like that. I like the old version there. That one's much better. uh, Yeah. Sounds kind of dirty.
0: And so that's moving on to a stanza's 27 and 28, where Thrym then lifts up Freya's veil to kiss her. However, he was met with eyes that showed pure rage. As you mentioned, the eyes were on fire. Loki then stated that her eyes were only like that because she also couldn't sleep for eight nights as well. Yeah, she but she, she couldn't sleep because
1: she was she was up all night thinking about her new uh, her new husband. Yeah.
0: Exactly. All
1: right, we can skip to 29.30. <laughs> awesome.
0: Um, so a couple more stanzas, or a few more stanzas here. Stanzas 29.30, Thrym's sister then came in and asked for customary gifts from the bride, which is Thor pretending to be Freya. When this happens, Thor becomes even angrier. Thrym then brings in Mjolnir and puts it on Freya's in quotes lap. So he puts Thor's hammer on Thor's lap. But one thing I wanted to note here was that Thrym also mentions Var as a wedding goddess. So they were they were about to get married, and so he mentions Var as having some significance to the ceremony. So I looked up Var in um, the different sources. Um, I found her um, in the Prosetta in Gilfaghnin, chapter thirty-five. Where um, Snorri Sturluson has like separate chapters, like just where they describe some of the side gods or the gods that don't really play a huge role in these stories. And here's what um, the quote is The ninth is Var, which means beloved, and the ninth being the ninth goddess that he's mentioning. She listens to the oaths and private agreements that are made between men and women. For this reason, such agreements are called Varar. She takes vengeance on those who break trust, which I thought was interesting. And then, um, and then, the poetic Edda she appears in this story as well.
1: Yeah, and as, as I read some different books about all the different Norse gods, there's a few of them that are kind of interesting, especially of the goddesses, where they're really not mentioned in any stories. They just have like one or two lines mm-hmm. that represent them. In some places, they do. I think it might just be another name for uh, Frigg. It's kind of like in this story. They use there's a place. Sometimes they call Thor. Uh, Halorthy. and so just, and in this story they call him a Vingthor which just means Thor the the hurler basically like he he flings Thor the flinger basically right yeah um, and so yeah cuz like var is used to mean like very much a a trust a confidence and there's another one i think named Vor who means something like prudence or wisdom and it's really just like they made a a god a a deity that represents wisdom there's no story about them it's just like that, right? So they're they don't have like characterization. They're not in stories, but those are also ways they describe uh, Frigg quite often, being wise and you know the, the god, goddess of marriage and things like that. So
0: yeah, very- and of Frigg being Odin's wife. And, and I did want to just add because I, I saw these this note that you added, and I I do know that there's like a theory out there based on the sources that also Frigg is the same goddess as Freya. I unfortunately did not look too far into this, but I think it's something that we definitely want to bring up and research for a future episode. But I think to your point into like the thought that Frigg maybe Freya, or like one god maybe another god from another story, it kind of goes to show like how over 200 years where religion is practiced over the span of like 500 miles, these stories may just get changed, and and some of the characters' names may change a little bit over time, like the Norse gods could be the result of 2000 miles between Rome where the Roman gods were worshiped. And then over time, like the God Apollo may become the God of like the God Thor. And I could be wrong. That might be the wrong connection there, but like, pretty close. yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering like how much, you know, we actually do know. And like, I know we know, we've mentioned previously that we don't know too much about like what the um, Scandinavians actually believed in these times, but like, you know, I guess if you add like another layer on that, like language evolves over time, and it makes it very hard, if that well, makes and, sense. But.
1: And then once they were trying to write it down, right? When, you know, when they told the stories and it was just oral tradition, whatever you're telling is the version that you're telling, right? So, you know, people don't have Wikipedia to go to and check your sources, right? But once people are trying to write it down, they're trying to make all these different stories consistent. So let's say there's old, old stories where Odin has a wife, right? But then there's these stories where Odin meets Freya, and he learns magic from her. And it seems like they have a very intimate relationship almost like they're married. And then let's say later somebody writes a story where it's like Odin is married to Freya and maybe he could be married more than once, but maybe they just try to like let's try to separate these characters out so we can clarify. It's also as I read a lot of things about archetypes and spirituality, the idea that like they're they're different aspects of the mm-hmm. goddess, right? If there's one one god and one goddess, then you kind of you see the different faces of the goddess looking like Frigg or Freya or different, yeah, a Vor.
0: Yeah. So before we wrap up the poem here. I see that you made a note on Garing. Oh, it was out just of okay. some
1: other, um, one, one of the scholars on kind of the old mythology. I never would have thought of this, but they said maybe the whole point of this whole story, why did Thor lose his hammer? Is that in the winter, there aren't thunderstorms. So Thor doesn't have his hammer. And that's why there's no thunderstorms until he gets his hammer back and he gets dressed up in a wedding dress and gets his hammer back. And now there's thunderstorms in the spring. So that goes to Thor's aspect that the idea is uh, before he was, you know, so much kind of the warrior God, he was also a fertility God. He brought the rain oh. that then helped his wife to be able to grow the crops. His wife was the, the land, the, the earth, the sif with, you know, the, the golden yeah. uh, fields of grain and kind of those aspects of her. So interesting stuff. Oh.
0: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Cool. So we can wrap up the poem here. Thor with the hammer on his lap grabs the hammer and he first kills Thrym, who's the guy that, who's the giant, excuse me, that started this all. He also kills the rest of Thrym's kin and then Thrym's sister, who we, we were just introduced to. And so that, David, is the story of how Thor got his hammer back.
1: Oh yeah. No, and we missed one little uh, part where, so Thrym's sister comes out and she's talking to Thor, thinking it's Freya and being like, where are all my gold chains? Where's all my gifts right I'm you're supposed to have some gifts for me too and so then uh my, my thought is that Thor's like, uh, yeah, here's your gift and then gives her the hammer uh, at the end of the story
0: <laughs> which goes into the comedy aspect of this, which I think this episode would be very good like on a uh, you know a sitcom or something like that oh yeah I made it like I think I made a tweet on uh how funny the scene would have been if or like the scene where Loki and Thor go to try to get Freya to marry Thren and then Freya tells him to fuck off. Like I've, I, I, my mind went so many ways on how like that scene would have been done like in a real time sitcom. And yeah. I was like looking for, I know you, like I, I reached out to you earlier this week. I was like, do you know of a show where this woman just like totally yells at two men to the point where they cower in fear? Cause I want to add a meme for the Twitter account and you were like, Oh, I have no idea. I think you sent me that meme with like the cat, the lady yelling at the cat or something. Cameron
1: but, Diaz or yeah, I think so. Yep.
0: I don't think I don't think that was Cameron Diaz, but I think that was is it? I
1: can't remember. Yeah.
0: I think it was a rowdy TV show. But yeah, it's the meme where yell a woman is yelling at the cat and the cat's there like, ah, well, fuck off. I don't care.
1: Oh yeah. No, and actually just as you're saying that, it makes me think of other interpretations. Should I start kind of talking about some of those like the, the mythological or psychological interpretations?
0: Uh yeah. I think yeah. that's a perfect segue.
1: Go ahead. The thing you were just talking about, right? That the the masculine instinct is to try to um, what was the word you used there, but basically trying to conquer her, control her, right? Mm-hmm. Because actually, it's interesting, actually the, the Aesir, right? Odin, if Odin doesn't marry her, right? And she's her own goddess, then, and, and you know, Thor, they don't try to own her. They just let Freya be as powerful as she is, right? But then there's this kind of idea, like something trying to uh, control her. And you talk about, it's not just her beauty. It is also the, like the power, the magic that she has, right? And I think I mentioned in a previous one, that idea of often in the hero's journey, they'll say that the dragon somehow represents the feminine, right? And it's this thing that they're figuring out how to have a relationship, not, not trying to like, conquer her or control her, but rather to let her be herself, be free, right? It's kind of this tension between that, if that makes... Does that kind of make sense?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's... It was another thing I, as I was just rereading your notes earlier about Thor and and what he has to sacrifice, right? To I think you even said this, right? That, that sort of like he has to let part of himself die, right? The part of himself that's afraid yeah. to wear a wedding dress. That part of Thor has to die for him to become stronger.
0: My thought there, and like this was like very late in preparation for the episode. Like yeah. I know in previous episodes we talked about Odin destroying part of himself. Like he hung himself for nine days and nine nights. Right. So he could learn the runes, he sacrifices his eye, and then so you could like argue that he gains wisdom from that. He maybe like somehow sees more in a figurative sense. Yeah. But like if you look at a character in any any story, really, they may have to do something that breaks them, and so they rise up better. And like I know we talked about this with Jesus Christ. Right. So in this story, I know it's it's not necessarily the same, it could have just been like a comic. Like like it could have been just like a funny thing to say, "Oh, Thor's in a wedding dress, but yeah. Thor, yeah. if he reduces himself to wearing a wedding dress, that is sort of him destroying himself because he doesn't have his hammer, he right. reduces himself there in an effort to get his hammer back, but like I, I mentioned that it might be a part of his like personal growth in the hero's journey that you mentioned
1: yeah there's a so look as I'm doing all this different reading about archetypes, and this is. One of the ideas that's kind of underlying that that idea that I want to write a book about is this idea, sort of the, the structure of the psyche would be a way to say it. So of your, of your mind, or maybe even of your soul, that there's these sort of four aspects of you. Mm-hmm. And there's different, different ways of saying it, but one would say that there's a, there's a hero. So there's the son and the father, there's a hero, and there's the wise old man. And those are kind of four images that show up in all kinds of different stories the idea, right? you go from, you, you start out life as a child, as the son, as you get older, you become maybe the father or like the king. right? And then that there's this, this hero's journey that you need to go on that first to become like really the wise old man who actually has wisdom that other people can benefit from. And then I'm reading this, this other book that talks about the structure before you go on the hero's journey. But after you complete the hero's journey, they, so the, the child or the the adolescent is the hero but then the man is the warrior that somehow the warrior is more developed and it doesn't and he, it's not just that he kills right it's that he knows kind of strategy he knows how to win a battle that it's not always the way thor is right with uh, smashing things with a hammer mm-hmm. so i think there's something about that, that thor maturing right and now that he's gone through all of that has he gained some type of wisdom right because he had to kind of go along with all of loki's Tricks and learn how to talk his way out of situations because he he couldn't fight his way out if he doesn't have his hammer. What's your thought on that, Sean, as far as that like developmental idea? Is is it kind of making sense or?
0: Uh, It does. And I I know we, um, last week when like one of the versions of Udgard Loki, I think it was uh, the one from the poetic Edda Hymns Theater, Thor disguises himself as a boy because he's smart enough to know that this giant would not want to go fishing with him if it was Thor. Thor could go. Straight into the the sea and say I'm going to find the world serpent Yormangander and kill him, but he understands that he needs help. He needs a boat. Yeah. Like let's say let's say hypothetically he learns this from his uh, lesson with the ferryman, where he needs a boat. He needs to prevent somebody yeah. to let them across the river. He can't just say I'm Thor. Let me fucking across. In this situation, he disguises himself as a boy. He goes to Hymir and says, "Oh yeah, like let's go fishing." And Hymir says, "Yes." If you were to look at this as a, a strict timeline, which I know you can see that Thor maybe be starting to learn. Life is not about just being powerful and looking at every problem as a nail and you're a hammer, if that makes sense.
1: Right, and that's where he starts to bring in this aspect of Loki. And I think there's several things that hint at Loki being a little more feminine, right? Besides just the fact that he got pregnant and gave birth to Slepnir, right? There's several yeah. <laughs> aspects of Loki. Yeah. He's a little more in touch with his feminine side than Thor is, right? So another interesting thing, I was describing that sort of four-part model, right? That there's the, the son, the father, the warrior, and the wise old man, the very developed version of that wise old man would be something like the magician or the shaman, right? So as you think about Odin, right? And he, so he's one of the sides and Thor, the warrior is on the opposite side, right? They're like as as opposite as, as you could be, right? Like the way <laughs> Thor is versus the way Odin is. Another thing is I look at all these like models of archetypes and things like that, that they would say the trickster, Loki's the trickster, right? Archetype is the shadow of the magician. So it's something about his the dark side of the magician. To accomplish those things, you have to, you know, not just be in touch with the spirit realm and accomplish impressive things, but you have to be deceptive. You have to be a little, maybe almost verging on evil, but not quite evil, right? It goes like Loki's not exactly evil, but some of the things are. You know, by our modern standards, very kind of like wrong, right? That
0: looks Oh is. yeah, definitely.
1: Um, kind of goes to where I don't know what all of that means, but is the idea that there's this, yeah, this aspect of the the magician trickster that balances out Thor to get Thor a little more balanced, right? Thor is very unbalanced, I would say, is a thing we have seen, right?
0: I think that's where Thor's father, Odin, like comes into play. Where, like, if you look at Harvard's law, again, I know you mentioned this in multiple previous episodes, Thor, like, thinks he is strong enough to get what he wants. And Odin's like, no, fuck off. I'm not gonna let you cross the river. Because, and then he proceeds to insult him, right? So, like, I think that's very interesting because, like, Thor does need that balance. He needs to be put in his place to grow. Yeah,
1: and this was actually, it's interesting because as, at first, I wasn't entirely sure my interpretation of this myth, and then I actually woke up with a dream, and I, I wrote a few of these notes. That like <laughs> this one was that that Thor has to humble himself before the gods. Right? There's this scene where he's standing in front of all the gods, and they're like, "Oh no, Thor lost his hammer. What are we going to do?" And all the gods are there watching him, and he, and Heimdall says, "I, I looked at the future. The only thing you can do is put on a wedding dress." And so that idea of he has to submit to the gods, he makes himself like lower, right, less than. But that's the only way for him to find his true strength that is balancing the warrior and either you call it the, the lover aspect or the, maybe the magician kind of aspect, right? That that's when he actually gets, he's going to be much stronger from that than he is being a very one-sided hammer who just smashes everything. Because sometimes that doesn't work, right? He gets tricked by, uh, by Utgard-Loki, right? Yeah. It's not all, it doesn't always work for him. And that goes back to the idea of, yeah, like, is some of this, the Christian idea of humbling yourself before God? Or was there any of these ideas for the Norse back in the day, right? I think, I don't I don't know enough actually to quite answer that question right now, but that's...
0: No, definitely. And, and like, if you look at this this episode, Thor lost what made him Thor, right? Yeah. And he, he eventually did what Thor to, oh, always does at the end when he got his hammer back, he just killed a bunch of giants. But in, in him finding the way to get the hammer back, he had to change who he was. He maybe rested on his, his uh, colleagues, in this case, Loki, but also he... The Aesir were his counsel, right? Like Hemdal was mm-hmm. his counsel. Loki helped him get the hammer back, and so that that kind of changed him, who he was. And like maybe the real Thor's hammer is are the friends that we made along the way, or something like that. Like Thor and Loki shared this moment, and yeah, you know the the gods like Frey and Hemdall sort of helped him out too. So I don't know. Right, maybe the hammer apply, is right? kind of
1: the 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 magic, the beauty of their uh, friendship that they they managed together. Yeah. The, it's actually a marriage between Thor and Loki, right? They, now they're married to each other and they're, they're much more powerful than they were separate. Maybe that's one way for me to read. But uh, the, the other thing that I came to at the end was this idea, was this all just another lesson from Odin that he's trying to teach his son, right? Because Odin is suspiciously quiet in this story. We don't hear yeah. anything from Odin, yet we have Loki, right? The shadow uh, following, taking Thor everywhere. And then Heimdall, right? When he's in the one story where the uh, Thula, right? He's called Rig and we think he's Heimdall. But maybe he's Odin because we know Odin knows runes. We know Odin knows Sadir magic. Did Odin actually tell the future and be like, Yep, Thor, you got to go put on a wedding dress? That's another one of my theories.
0: We're going to drive ourselves insane, David, because I know we mentioned in like Harvard's Law, maybe it was Loki in disguise. In Thor's duel with Frungnir, we were like, Well, what if like Odin orchestrated all of this because he was trying to teach his son a lesson, but he also wanted Frungnir's horse?
1: That's the idea is I like learning to interpret the mythology and I tie it into the idea of interpreting dreams. They're both true at the same time, right? It's all of those things. Uh, if you can, like you said, k- keep all that in your head without <laughs> thinking, make, making it, uh, your head hurt too much, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I'll, I'll probably come back to that idea of those sort of four different types. There's also four of those, that structure of four for um, the feminine or for goddesses as well, but we'll maybe go into that more when we get to uh, more stories about Freya. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm very excited about um, not only like wrapping up um, the adventures of Thor, but I think with uh, Freya having a lot of parts in like what we've discussed so far, I'm looking forward to getting into her episodes as well.
1: All right, Sean, is that is that it for the episode?
0: For the yeah, that's it. Uh, thanks, everyone. And I do have a request. Maybe I should have asked this at the beginning of the episode, but uh, you know, we are we are getting some. Um, we're getting more followers on Twitter. We don't have that many yet. Um, I'm really not good with the whole social media game but if you are listening and you do like these episodes um you know feel free to dm us or just like respond to one of our tweets or something we'd love to hear from you and also if there's anything else that um we could be doing in these episodes that you would prefer you know feel free to let us know as well
1: and i think that's one of the things that's supposed to help with all that um you know leave us a leave us a five-star review on the podcast software tell us we're great if there's something you don't like tell us on twitter but leave us a five-star review (laughs) and that's supposed to help so
0: there we go Thank you, everyone. Thanks, David. Have a good night. They came together there early in the evening, and ale was brought for the giants. He ate one whole ox, ate salmon, all the dainties meant for the women. Sif's husband drank three casks of mead. Then said Thyrim, lord of ogres, Why is my lady eating so much? I ain't never seen a woman take that big a bite out of
1: an ox before. And why does she drink that much beer?
0: The very shrewd maid sat before him. She found an answer to the giant's speech.
1: Freya ate nothing for eight
0: long days, so hot was she to travel to meet the lord of Jotunheim. Thyrim then bent under the headdress. He is keen to kiss her. Instead, he sprang back right along the hall.
1: And why her eyes look so scary, like they're on fire or something.
0: The very shrewd maid sat before him. She found an answer to the giant's speech.
1: Freya did not sleep for eight long nights, so hot was she to meet the lord of Jotunheim. Well, that's good enough for me. Hilda, get in the house and bring out Thor's hammer. I got a goddess to marry. Let's get on with it and consummate
0: this thing. Amazing, David. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Take care.